We have just released issue 4 of the New Thinking Aloud magazine. Download it for free at newthinkingaloud.org. New Thinking Aloud is a non-profit endeavor. Your contributions to the New Thinking Aloud Foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos. Thinking Aloud Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello, I'm Christopher Naughton. I'm happy to be working alongside longtime host Jeffrey Mishlove and co-host Emmy Vadness. Quick note at the top, please hit like, subscribe, comment, ring the bell. It'll help other people like you find programs like these. Well, this is the gimbal footage. The video released by the United States government and its Department of Defense from footage procured from the USS carrier Theodore Roosevelt back in 2015. My guest today is Matthew Roberts, a former naval cryptologist who was aboard the Roosevelt, who actually reviewed the gimbal event and later the Go Fast event as well. He tells us how it dramatically impacted his life. He also says the United States government has more footage like this, a lot more. In 2020, after the gimbal event and after the New York Times 2017 article regarding it, Matthew wrote this book, Initiated, in which he tells intimate details of what happened in his life, both positive and harrowing, in light of the gimbal event. He also has been part of the four-part encounter series, which has aired on Netflix. Matthew joins us from Tempe, Arizona today. Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate you uh, coming here and joining us on New Thinking Aloud. So you're one of the first interviews that we see in the Encounter series, which again is aired on Netflix, produced by Spielberg and Amblin Entertainment. And in this clip we're going to show our audience, you not only describe the gimbal event, but you also describe its frequency. My name is Matthew Roberts. I was a cryptologic technician in the U.S. Navy for 16 years. I was present on the USS Theodore Roosevelt for the gimbal event. So uh, that was the first time I saw the gimbal footage. I was watching this footage and I could see no kind of aviation surfaces that you would expect to see. Wings, tail, you know, rudders, there was none of that. I knew that it wasn't ours, right? I knew that it wasn't anybody else's. Uh, so, I mean, that only leaves one other option, I think. Which is what? And that's non-human tech, non-human intelligence technology. This was not a one-off event for the Navy. This. Uh, these things happen frequently, all the time. They happen all the time. So did it happen all the time? Was this a frequent event aboard the carrier that you were on? Yeah, yeah, they, it, uh, they do happen all the time. Um, and I can tell you that not only did this happen during our workup cycle, but later when we were on deployment, and we were what they call on station in the Gulf. Um, we had we had them come back 
they they showed up again. Was that the Go Fast event, or was that something else yet again? That that was uh, so both the gimbal and the Go Fast event. Uh, those those videos were both from our workup cycle, um, and so and so those objects came back again when we were on station. Um, but uh, as I said, they they happen all the time. They happen to other carrier groups. This wasn't uh, specific to us. Um, and these are the jets. I mean, these are the F-18s flying off your carrier that are capturing this footage. It's not as if guys on the ship, sailors on the ship, were, were seeing UFOs, or were they? Um, well, I don't, I, you know, I, I hesitate to go any further than that. Um, I, uh, the, the thing that I will say is that, that they, they happen frequently and, um, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and that's what I'll say about it. I understand. <laughs> I know there's certain things you can and cannot say, but yeah. what I do understand is that, you know, you have 5,000 sailors on this ship and you said that it really wasn't common knowledge. At least the gimbal event wasn't common knowledge to most of the people on that ship. That's correct. Yeah. I, you know, the, the, the regular, regular people on the ship that aren't read in, that don't have a clearance that aren't in Intel. Uh, so if you weren't in Intel or the air wing, uh, the likelihood was that you would n not know that anything was going on. Um, so, so the ship wasn't a buzz with this. Um, mm -hmm. There were only certain people who were talking about it, who knew what was happening. So how did you find out about it? I mean, as I recall, one of the stories you tell is like they started talking about UFOs. Someone started talking about UFOs and you almost didn't want to hear their conversation. Yes, that, that, that is true. But that wasn't the first time I heard about it. So the first time right. I heard about it, one of my buddies who works more closely with the air wing came into the skiff where I work and he said, hey, I've got something to show you. You know, and so I sat down at my computer and I pulled it up and we all kind of just gathered around the computer and and watched these clips. Um, and so that was the first time I saw it. Um, and uh, later, of course, I heard I, I was going to a meeting. I heard there were two pilots standing on either side of the briefing room door and they were talking about, hey, did you see the UFOs, the videos? And and they were just discussing it, and I kind of threw my head down at the floor and just walked right past them. I didn't, I didn't want to hear that conversation. You know, it may be part of a recurring theme which we're going to address today, is that sometimes people just don't want to hear some of these things. Maybe that's what you were going through, because didn't you say that you had an emotional reaction to this when you were examining the footage? Yes, I did. I. Uh... And I, I didn't understand it at the time, but I, I kind of, I did. I had a, a very emotional reaction to it. I could kind of feel tears welling up in my eyes as I'm watching this footage. And I didn't, I didn't understand it. And I watched the footage obsessively, you know, for the next several months to the point that uh, people would come into the shop where I work and they saw I'd be, they would see me watching it again. And they're like, Oh, are you watching that again? You know, what is wrong with you? And I, and I would just say, how do you not think this is the most incredible thing you've ever seen? You know? 
It reminds me of that scene in Close Encounters where Richard Dreyfus, once he's, he's seen the event, he has to look at it over and over again. He becomes obsessed in some ways. I'm not saying mm -hmm. that this is a one-on-one -on -one with you, but in some ways, uh, that is part of the obsession, right? This is so otherworldly, so important, so galvanizing that you can't look away once you do start looking. Yes, absolutely. I would say that I would say that, you know, the people who made Close Encounters kind of knew that about this subject. And so the the character that R Richard Dreyfus plays resembles a lot of people who end up looking into this. It becomes an obsession, you know, and 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 you just can't take yourself away from it. And then, and of course, many of those people have uh, secondary and tertiary encounters, and we're going to get into that to your your personal story as well. But what I, I have to say, you know, um, you know, that you have also said that you don't believe that this is the only footage that the United States government has. And I know, again, recently, Congress, Congress, I don't want to say has been forced, but maybe their hand has been pushed to the point that they had to release some footage. But you say there's a lot more, and it's a lot more definitive. Yes. Um, yeah. Again, I mean, the degree you can to divulge this. I understand you're under some restrictions, even though you retired Navy. Nevertheless, uh, you have gone on the record by saying you wish they'd show some of the more definitive footage. Yeah, I mean, there there are things out there that if 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 the public were to see it, there'd be no doubt as to what this is. Um, I know it's interesting because what you demonstrate, again, in the gimbal footage, it's still pretty mind-bending, and it still is something that, and as you describe in that clip, you know, you know, no rudders, no tails, no exhaust, no nothing. So that still seems pretty convincing. But I guess what you're saying is there's even more convincing definitive evidence that if I were to see it or my colleagues were to see it, we'd say, okay, no doubt. Yes, absolutely. I mean, because the, the footage that has been released thus far, a lot of it is just very uh, ambiguous, right? It, you, you look at it and you say, well, that could be a balloon. It could be a piece of floating debris. But if you were to see it moving in some anomalous way, mm -hmm. some way that aircraft don't move, um, which these things certainly exist. So if you were to see that it would kind of take away that ambiguity so when when the the crew or at least the people you're working with on the roosevelt start to discover this footage is it business as usual or do some people start getting attached to it like you had you know for everyone else it was just kind of business as usual um every once in a while someone would bring it up and we would start talking about it um but for the most part everyone just kind of put it away and and that was it but you pursued it in 2015 is when this occurs and by 2017 the new york times now starts to divulge some of the information some of the information that had been let's face it let's just speak frankly had been hidden top secret classified for years yes absolutely and and with that article they released the gimbal uh, footage and also footage from the Nimitz incident off the co off the west coast of the United States. Right, but there's more to come. You Hopefully. know, I, 
Yeah, hopefully. Well, you would think inevitably this uh, a lot more of this uh, is going to come out, even though it's been so many years. Uh, I just have to show you this quick clip because, you know, we went back and did some research. And this is a quick Department of Defense clip from 1952. And it's basically two people high up on the chain with slightly different opinions of UFOs and UAPs. Let's take a look. I am here to discuss the so-called flying saucers. The Air Force interest in this problem has been due to our feeling of an obligation to identify and analyze to the best of our ability anything in the air that may have the possibility of threat or menace to the United States. In pursuit of this obligation since 1947, we have received and analyzed between one and 2,000 reports that have come to us from all kinds of sources. Of this great mass of reports, we have been able adequately to explain the great bulk of them. However, there have been a certain percentage of this volume of reports that have been made by credible observers of relatively incredible things. With all due respect to the Air Force, I believe that some of them will prove to be of interplanetary origin. During a three-year investigation, I found that many pilots have described objects of substance and high speed. One case, pilots reported their plane was buffeted by an object which passed them at 500 miles an hour. Obviously, this was a solid object, and I believe it was from outer space. So looking at that footage, Matthew, you know, you, you get the idea. One general is saying most of this can be explained. Some of it can't be. And then Major Kehoe, who wrote a book, just put it out there, you know, UFOs are real, uh, says, no, this stuff is, is absolutely valid. That's kind of a fight, a conflict that we have seen now for, what, 70 years. Yeah, and it's still ongoing. I mean, if if you listen to recent comments of higher ranking people, uh, you'll have some of them saying, you know, this a lot of this is just airborne clutter, and uh, you know, it's it's balloons, it's garbage floating in the air, it's a plastic bag floating in the wind, um, and, and you have others who are saying the opposite. Uh, I, I think, though, that the truth is somewhere in between. I'm sure there are things that are are balloons that have gotten loose, research balloons, um, you know, and, and airborne clutter. But there there are other things as well that are up there that uh, do not behave like like a balloon or clutter. Yeah, I mean, in this clip that I showed you from DOD in 1952, this was late July. This is only weeks after numerous UFOs, as we called them at the time, buzzed the White House, not once, but twice. You were probably aware of that. At some point in time, you became aware of, the, of those historic buzzings, did you not? Uh, yeah, I, and, and, you know, I, I, th there, there's a whole uh, UFO cluster. When was that? Was that back in the 50s? I, I can't remember. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, they, they wanted to say that that was just, atmospheric phenomenon uh nothing to see here you know but uh i i don't know i i, I just of course i don't buy it you know um if, if there were some kind of atmospheric phenomenon that were causing these things to materialize i think it would be common knowledge pilots would see that all the time and they would know what it is you know 
Right. And here pilots were seeing craft that were moving, you know, several times uh, their speed and making right hand turns and stops and goes and that sort of thing. Balloons just don't do that. So what I find interesting about the Encounter series is that to me, it's a story of vindication because we've known for decades, good, upstanding people, not only sober, temperate-minded people in the military, level-headed people such as yourself, mm. but we're seeing pillars of communities. And I love the way they started this out. One of the the uh, the gentlemen from uh, Stevensville, Texas, he's uh, an entrepreneur. He's a pilot himself. He's up on a hill with two other buddies. He's castigated. He's basically pushed to the side. And this has been the recurring story, right? That's correct. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I came forward with my own story, because I didn't I didn't like the idea that that, that this was being kept secret and that people were being ostracized in this way unnecessarily. Um, uh, that, that just didn't sit OK with me. And especially you have you have people in careers who uh, maybe their career is dependent upon their psychological state. You know, and so if you go to the if 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 you start talking about this stuff and maybe your wife wants you to go to a psychiatrist or your spouse and uh, they diagnose you with something like uh, schizophrenia or, or or some other possibly career ending diagnosis, um, I'm just I'm not OK with that. You know, I'm not OK with that at all. It's 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 wrong. It's disgusting that that is allowed to continue. Um, so that, that was really one of my biggest driving forces that I did not like the fact that that is out there and that is happening. Yeah. And this seems to be common over and over again. And that's why I think the encounter series, you know, by Amblin entertainment is a vindication story because it tells the stories of people, good people, kids, teachers, businessmen, military people. Again, not not the kind of person, so not some crazy sternal bun sitting on the corner somewhere. Um, th these these people are pillars of society, and and of course, also I found really captivating the first story with Eddie Weiss, who is a former a member of Homeland Security. He's talking to his kids like this stuff is real, kids, and he's using the Bible. And and I, I will say too that. You know, there are a lot of people out there who have theories about what this is. And um, and something that I came to understand in my own experiences was that this, this experience that I had was what kind of gave birth to all the world's religions. So the fact that he's using the Bible in these descriptions uh, and, and using the Bible as as, hey, you know, this is what this is, you know, I, I don't. I don't view that as as really out there. Uh, I, I think that there's there's more truth to that than people would be comfortable with. S certainly, most atheists. Which is how you grow up, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when I was when when all of this was happening to me, I I was a devout atheist. I I did not believe in any of this. I thought it was a bunch of hocus pocus. Um, I this is and, and and the answers that I came to ultimately were not the answers that I wanted. Actually, I've I very much resisted that throughout the entire 
experience, I, I just said to myself, you know, I, I things would come up and I would say, no, that is, that is not what this is, you know, and I, I, I resisted it very much. But in the end, I kind of, it, the, the proof just became so much that I, I could not deny, uh, I couldn't deny it any longer. And, you know, and I want to get into, we're going to get more deeply into your own personal story, Matthew, because I think that's the linchpin here. But since, you know, we've touched on the notion of people not being believed, and that's one of the reasons that we find ourselves 70 some years after the initial, some of the initial sightings, the government admitting them in the late 1940s, why we're still in this place of conflict and why there have been so many casualties. You know, the most compelling story I felt in the entire encounter series was a story out of Zimbabwe where 62 young children, black students, white students, um, are basically testifying to the fact that they saw an alien craft land, that aliens stepped out of the ship. And uh, let me play a little bit of a clip here because this is, um, these are some of the people who were, again, castigated, kicked to the curb, not believed, told they were crazy. You kids aren't, don't know what you're seeing. You have a vivid imagination. And Encounters went back and interviewed these so-called kids. Now they're adults, of course. This is 30 years on. And here's what some of them had to say. I saw a little object hovering. It was quite big, actually. And then there was little ones all around it. Mm -hmm. And it looked as if they were changing spaceships silver shiny disc with lights on the lower half of it there were lights it was like and i saw um, like a door and then suddenly he was over there and he was right in front of us i blinked and then i saw the being less than like a, or a meter or two away from me i believe in it because i did see it this is a story that we're sharing. This is a story that we're proud of. This is a story that if you want to talk about it, talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, don't talk about it. But it's your story as well. This is a very important story to tell, but not so much because of the incident itself. It's an important human story to tell. To simply say, humans have experienced this. Yeah, I you know I th I think it's unfortunate that there are there are these things that happen where people they they don't want to believe that this is happening and and I come across this still even even today people say oh you know you're you're a liar but it, you know the footage is there and 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 why not believe people why why are we so willing to just throw away what someone says they saw just because we don't want to believe it personally. That's, that's the thing. And, and I think the reason people do that is because in order to do that, in order to admit, okay, maybe these people did see something, right? Mm -hmm. Then, then you have to start to admit to yourself that, well, maybe there's more going on here than I realize. And that's that's a very that puts you in a very uncomfortable position, because this this is not something that currently fits your worldview, and so if you're going to be sympathetic with this person and say, okay, maybe you saw something, um, 
that 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 starts to mess with your own kind of uh, mental stability in a way that and makes un- you uncomfortable. And understanding of reality. Yes, exactly. It will you know? shake your worldview. Mm-hmm. You know what I found really again another compelling aspect to this to this really amazing series encounters is John Mack heralded uh, Harvard psychiatrist not only not only is he heralded for what he did he was a Pulitzer Prize winner he headed up the department the psychiatry department at Harvard he was a pioneer in child psychiatry he started to seriously listen to these people who claimed that they had had abduction experiences, alien experiences, close encounters of the first, second, third, et cetera kind. He goes over to Zimbabwe and the kids say he was the only one that we really trusted. And yet John Mack, you know, was thrown under the bus as well. He was the only professor at Harvard ever where they tried to take his tenure away. There, there are still some people who watch encounters, though, and they, they kind of, uh, you know, push it away. They, they don't want to think about this. But I, you know, I, I think it, it is a vindication story uh, because you got people like myself, people who are credible, people who had, you have people who have had clearances for years and decades now out there talking about these things uh, as though they're real because they are real. And uh, I, I, I think that these people who have been suffering for so long should feel vindicated and they should feel good about it. And they should be proud of what, what happened there at that school that day. Um, and, and they shouldn't let anyone tell them otherwise, you know? Yeah, there was one person there that day who said it was all made up. But mm. he doesn't come across nearly as credible in the story as do these innocent kids, these these kids who are you can just look in their face and you know there doesn't seem to be a, a hint of guile in their eyes. They're just basically reporting, you know, what they've seen. Now you've hit on a point, and uh, Kevin Knuth, who's a former NASA astrophysicist, was also in this series. Let's hear a short clip from him as to maybe why we don't want to understand or believe this stuff. You know, for our whole lives and our parents' whole lives. Since the 1940s, um, we've been told by authorities and scientists that this is ridiculous, that this is nonsense. And I think that's the main reason why you don't have many serious, or until recently, you've had very few serious scientists studying this. I would say there's probably on the order of 15 experts in the world. That to me is shocking. It it suggests that there's something maybe deeper than the stigma and all of the obvious things that are preventing people from studying this, that maybe people don't want to know what this phenomena is. Maybe people don't want to know the truth. Maybe it scares them a little bit somehow. So, Matthew, maybe this scares people somehow. We've kind of talked about that, but let's maybe segue into your story because maybe there's a good reason to be scared. You know, I there 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 is. I mean, and and some people have thrown around this word sober uh, if they if they were had were to have to describe the phenomenon or, or somber. Um. And uh, it, it really is kind of sombering, um, 
because when you have when you start to have these follow-on experiences right the hitchhiker effect as they call it where something follows you home um it, it it can be it's just so immediately disruptive and disturbing to f- suddenly be faced with this in your home in in your bedroom at night you know being woken up and you're seeing non-human intelligences there um now let's just step back a half step here for just a second because I, Jeffrey Mishlove has, has interviewed lots of folks who have had these experiences. Heck, he interviewed John Mack back in the 1990s and, you, and Jacques Vallée and others. But let's describe what the hitchhiker experience is again, even though Jeff has described it on this channel, that this is when people sometimes have a close encounter or are exposed to what you were exposed to, the Gibble event. Sometimes they find themselves in that same situation and there's an energy, there's a consciousness, there may be a being that follows them. That's why we use the term hitchhiker, correct? Yes, that's correct. And I I think what happens is just that it's like, you know, the the event will happen. Um, Several people or in some cases, hundreds or thousands of people may witness this, but there are it, it will strike certain people a certain way. And and I don't know how they do it, but some, somehow they pick up on that, right? And it's almost, I describe it as like running a magnet over a table filled with different kind of, kinds of metals. And and some of those metals will be magnetized, some of them won't. Uh, but, but, you know, running the magnet over that, you'll see which ones react, you know? And, and, and so I, I think that these these incidences are very similar to that in that respect and and those describe, describe some of them for us matthew uh i have read your book initiated and again it's it's a very honest book some of it's quite chilling but describe some of the events and what you uh, experienced yeah well i mean the first the first event that happened i had a uh an entity in my room uh one night i woke up cuz something grabbed my arm and and I could, I woke up, I thought, well, I, my room is going blurry for some reason. So I went to try to raise my hands to my face and kind of wipe the sleep out of my eyes. And I couldn't move. I realized I could not move. And that I woke up because someone was grabbing my arm. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, fought to kind of turn my head to the right to see who was standing there. And I just saw this shadow of, uh, a torso, two arms, and a head kind of bending over, looking at me. And as I'm looking at this, uh, the behind this shadow figure, uh, there was this golden light just started to light up my room. And then it came became very bright golden light, and the light concentrated into rays of light coming out of its head. And I thought to myself, what is going on? You know, this was just, you don't expect to wake up in the middle of the night and see something like that. Um, and then, you know, uh, after that, I, I kind of lost consciousness and fell asleep. And then there was a sexual experience. And I could see that this female who was there had blue skin 
Uh, it was, I, my hands were on her thighs and I could feel her skin and it was not like normal human skin. It was much thicker, uh, than, than human skin would be. Um, and then I woke up the next morning and I was just, I felt like I wanted to throw up, you know, I was, I was like, what, what was that? Um, well, you felt that you were assaulted. Yeah, I did. I, I felt totally completely violated um and but but you know what what kind of pulled me back from from that feeling of violation was the fact that there was this whole light show associated with it and i started to think to myself well that looks like religious art that i've seen from all over the world right the the rays of gold coming out of the divine entity's head or mm-hmm. or the light behind some divine figure and i thought to myself there's 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 a lot more going on here than i currently understand i'm obviously not the first one to see this because it's in religious art all over the world and so uh you know that kind of pulled me back and and kept me from jumping to conclusions uh throughout the experience which i think is something that people have a problem with right something like this happens to you and you want to just jump to oh my gosh it's evil this is this is an evil thing um this can't be happening i need to be afraid of this uh so on and so forth But or or maybe they the first step is they'd want to take you to a psychiatrist to make sure that you were drugged properly. Yes, uh, that would be the first step. And then the second step is not to believe you. And maybe the third step is, oh, my God, this is happening and I don't want to think about it. That's right. And, you know, I that was that was my immediate thought, too, was that, I, you know, this was happening to me. And and what was worse about it was that I couldn't tell. I I was like, well, who am I even going to tell about this? If I tell anybody about this, I'm going to wind up in a straitjacket. I'm going to sure. lose my clearance, you know, and I'll be out of a job. And this 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 would ruin my life, you know. So I had to just kind of sit with it, and 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 to just try to find some kind of way to be okay with it um which was not easy it was not well, it actually easy. forced you deeper again we talked a little bit about the fact that you grew up in a kind of a secular atheistic household which is i don't know what a raw sense of humor they must have had because all of a sudden you're starting to to look at the yogis and initiates and uh the kabbalion and other kinds of esoteric literature that five years prior you would never even dream of of reaching out and opening up and 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 reading that's correct i mean i you know when when before i had this experience with this blue being in my room i came across this book in a very um terrifying uh and paranormal way and it was a book called the kabbalion and and when i first read it one night uh, I or, or read the synopsis of the book online. I thought, oh, you know, I'm not, I'm not reading that. That's that just that is out there. Um, forget about it. You know. Yeah. Uh, but it was the next day that I had this set of just terrifying 
coincidences that just lined up and it was very obvious to me that the whole day was a construction just for me you know and and that to me did not fit my worldview right well, so the recurring it, line right is there a recurring line in the Kabbalion about there there are no coincidences something along those yes, lines yes exactly and and that was how the day wrapped up i ended up walking past this woman at a gas station uh around midnight on a thursday night near the freeway she's dressed to the nine sitting with a homeless man right and i knew that this was out of place this shouldn't be happening there's no way a woman who's dressed like the women i work with who are about to go brief congress is sitting here near the freeway at a gas station with a homeless man eating you know at midnight yeah uh so i'm walking past them and and then this total set of just impossible coincidences that led me to this gas station in the middle of the night and this woman points at the homeless man and she says you see there's no such thing as coincidence everything happens for a reason mm -hmm. And I thought, no way did that woman just say that as I was walking past. There's no way, you know. Um, and so that that I, I thought to myself as I entered this this Seven Eleven or Circle K, this convenience store, I was like, well, that's what this book, the Kabbalion, said. And so I guess I'm going to be reading this book, you know, because there's certainly more there than I I realize. You know, and it was it was then that I read this book several times and I thought, OK, well, I guess maybe this is some kind of learning experience for me. Let's let's learn. I'm ready for more, you know, which nothing could have been farther from the truth, because the next thing that happened was that sexual experience in my room, uh, which just threw me completely, you know, because here I was trying to understand something and I thought I was learning and then I and then I felt like I was just raped, you know, and what is that, you know, and, and so it, it really just kind of threw me into this downward spiral of uh, just the deepest depression I have ever been in in my life, along with other paranormal things that were happening at the house. I would I was having constant nightmares. I would wake up to the uh, the sound of a woman in my house screaming at the top of her lungs, like she's getting murdered, right? And and waking up to that is not something that you can just go back to sleep after hearing that, right? But of course, there was no female in the house. So it was just bizarre, right, to, to wake up to that. But but I I got to the point that I was so terrified I would sleep with the lights on, you know? Um, because I just could not stand the dark. So there are a number of experiences like that, which are, are fairly haunting, which you you obviously describe in the book. But, you know, there's some light in here as well. Uh, you know, if there was no light, it would be, oh, wow. That's, you know, that movie ended with a thud. But you do come to a place where the light, you, in other words, you persevered. You kept mm -hmm. reading, you kept pursuing you didn't stop seeking, if you will, to say to yourself, what does all of this mean to me? Right. You kept you know, going. Yeah. Describe and I think, uh, well, I would say that, you know, as I said earlier, there are people who come to these conclusions about things. Right. And and myself, I, through logic and reason, I, I just kind of eliminated those 
those theories about what this is, I eliminated them one by one. And I thought, I have, I have got to get to the bottom of this because people don't seem to know what's going on here. Um, and so, you know, I've, I found that I was so terrified and just unable to sleep. My life was just falling apart. Um, and I thought, I can't keep going like this. If, if I am going to get to the bottom of this, I have to, I just have to put this fear down and, and get rid of it. And so I, there were years before I had been in this haunted house, you know, a Halloween thing. And I was going through it and I was terrified. People were jumping out, ha ha ha, you know, and I, and I thought to myself in the middle of this, why am I afraid? I don't need to be afraid. I can just turn this off. And so I just kind of walked through the rest of the, the haunted house and I was like, well, whatever, you know, I, I know what this is. Uh, so I kind of applied that same kind of theory to this. And I said, I cannot be afraid. I have to be able to go to sleep at night. I have to be able to turn the light out. I have to be able to function during the day. Um, so that was what I did. I just, I just decided that I was not going to be afraid anymore. And it was going to be whatever it needed to be. That, that, that was the big thing. I, I said, no matter what it is, I don't care what it is. Whatever you're going to show me, show it to me, and I'll deal with it. Um, so that's what I did. And and I think that that is when the whole experience changed. And it it became something else entirely. And, and this is why I call it an initiation, because there's that initial tearing down. And then once you get over that tearing down, there's the building back up on the other side. Um, and, and that was what started to happen after that point. Didn't you go through a, a time period then of, of sublime peace, a peace that you would never know where you felt really literally at one with everything? Yeah. And it, I, after, after a while, the depression started to lift and then I started to feel better. And then I felt better than I had ever felt in my entire life. And then I started to feel this, this connection to everything that was so powerful that I could feel things, animals, people outside of myself, but I could feel them as though they were me, right? I could, I could feel what they were feeling. I could feel the grass. I could feel the trees, the bugs in the ground. Um, and, and that was, that was bizarre, but you know, in the end, when I, as I was feeling that I knew what it was, I thought this has got to be that, uh, that feeling of enlightenment or nirvana that, that people have spoken of, you know, um, that kind of oneness with God um basically um and so that that was how it ended you know and i was recently watching this uh this uh documentary about buddha with my brother mm -hmm. recently i think it, i don't remember if it was on pbs or what but uh at the end when these armies of darkness are descending upon buddha you know he he makes it rain flowers as they're shooting arrows at him and 
and then he touches the earth and and i thought you know this is exactly what i did i i kind of i went back to my roots and in stressful situations this these are the things that i do i will just i will put my emotions to the side you know and i will i will pick up the things that are being placed before me and i will use them to kind of formulate a new world view as it were i'm not afraid of doing that and so this situation for me was no different. And so Buddha touching the earth and going back to his roots, that's exactly what I did. And and I just did the things that I have always done. I have since come to understand that that's something called uh, the theory of positive personality disintegration by a guy named Dabrowski. Um, and he was a Polish psychologist who survived human experimentation in Nazi death camps. Um, and so this is his theory. He came up with it. And it, it basically says that, you know, life is a series of these initiatory experiences and you can put emotions aside and you can uh, formulate a new worldview and place these things into your hierarchical values, your value system and, and reorganize your worldview based on the truths that are being placed before you. Um, and it's just being able to do that and being able to get through this experience. Uh, you can only get through this experience that way. And so if, if you're someone who can't do that in life, you know, you're not going to be able to do that with this experience either. Well, you went through an absolutely genuine hero's journey mm -hmm. I mean, that's yeah. the joseph campbell i mean i mean i know campbell was impacted by young and young actually does discuss ufos and some of his writings but this is the quintessential hero's journey you had to go deep within mm -hmm. I, I guess at some point you might have said or you may have had maybe during that peaceful oneness period wow maybe this is all worth it after all yeah absolutely because you know, and, and, and that's one of the things about this is that you you understand what the universe is and what your place in it is. Um, and, and to know what the universe is is something that I think is is probably the most useful thing that could ever happen to you in life. And I think that most people who we would consider to be geniuses, people like Einstein, uh, you know, and, and all the others that, that we would consider to be, you know, the epitome of, uh, of, of what it means to be smart or, mm -hmm. or wise as a human are all people who have been through this. They may not talk about it um, so much, or we may dismiss their, what they do say about that kind of thing, because we want to just take their science and run with it. But why, why were they so good at these scientific discoveries? It's because they, in fact, knew what the universe is. And once you know that, you can extrapolate from that quite a bit. Um, and, and so it makes you seem like some kind of genius. Well, I mean, uh, mystics such as um, Evelyn, I believe her last name was Hill, or Dorothy Day and others, they go through a, an, an absolutely torturous dark night of the soul. They mm -hmm. enter with the best of intentions. They kind of get sideswiped or sandbagged. They don't really see it coming. 
like you, you really didn't see that stuff coming. You were like, okay, I'm ready to go. And you didn't realize how ready you might've been yeah, or maybe unprepared, but you were willing to go through it. And yet when I listen to your story, it's not unlike what you went through. You went through your own personal civil war. You went through your own personal existential crisis. Yeah. Um, you know, William James talked about we need a moral equivalent of war. I don't know if that's, you know, uh, UAP and UFO uh, introductions, but it seems like we as individuals and as a collective somehow need that kind of precipitating event or events to move us through to the next, to move us up the helix, you know, one step up the helix, same place on the circle, one step up the helix. So, yeah, I would totally agree. I think that these things happen on a micro scale with, with individual people, but on a macro scale as well with all of civilization, you know, I, I would totally agree with that. 100%. Sounds like you're living a really great life. Now you, you left the Navy, correct? You left it four years prior to retiring. Mm-hmm. That's no small thing. You gave up uh, the security of having that lifetime pension. Uh, what? Why did you do it, and what's that like? Uh, you know, I, I did it because I just, I in my own mind, I could not justify staying another four years and staying quiet about this just so that I could be taken care of. That's, that's not the kind of person I am. That's not the kind of person I've ever been. Uh, so... So, you know, it was not a, it was not a hard decision to leave, you know, uh, knowing that there were people who wanted to keep this a secret and wanted to keep this from people, you know, knowing what I came into in the end, you know, I thought, how dare you want to keep this from people? You know, how dare you want to say that the human being is not divine? you know, and to deny that and to deny people access to it. Uh, I just, it's, it's, it's a crime against humanity, in my opinion, you know, it's, it's totally disgusting. Um, and, and I, I just, I just was not gonna be a participant in that in any way. So, um, I, I had to come out and tell my story. And hence why I believe the um, the encounter series is is so vital. And and again, um, you know, again, with Spielberg's name behind it and Amblin behind it, you knew they were going to take it seriously. I think you said something very interesting early on about uh, Close Encounters and some of those other movies in the 60s and 70s and 80s that in some ways were indoctrinating us to perhaps what was ultimately real. I mean, the story, and again, our own Jeffrey Mishlove has, has talked about this many times over the years, back in the 80s and 90s when it wasn't so fashionable. That's the Close Encounters in some ways is based on real life events, a real life Richard Dreyfus, real life Close Encounter of the Third Kind a real life French scientist who is, who was uh, you know, based on Jacques Vallée. Yeah, that's right. And, and I, 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 I think that that's what a lot of science fiction is actually, is that, you know, a lot of people will have these types of experiences and they can't write about it as science fact. So let's go ahead and put it in science fiction so that later on down the road, when people are actually going through this, they can look at that and say, Oh, this person knew what they were talking about, you know, yeah. because they wrote this science fiction story that happens to align with reality in this sense, in a way that other people don't. 
You know, you've also said something pretty interesting, either in an interview or, or actually in the encounter series where uh, I think you said something along the lines that, um, you know, maybe it's not the government that's releasing this information slowly. Perhaps it's these conscious entities, this intelligence, this consciousness uh, uh, in and around our planet that are releasing this, if you will, to our conscious and subconscious minds at a rate that we can handle it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, that's very much true. I think that if this all does end up coming out, um, it, it it's not just because humans want it to happen. It's because they want it to happen too. I think, you know, there was, I, I, I equate what happened to me with the, the Greek mysteries. And I think it was Cicero uh, said that there was nothing that civilized mankind more than the mysteries right to to kind of let you know who and what you are and, and to to kind of quell the voice uh and, and and kind of give you patience and wisdom and uh and just allow civilization to bloom um i and and i totally agree with that and i think that they they know that right these others these non-human intelligence, they know that about us and they know that we need this. And, um, and I think we need it now more than ever based on what's happening. Uh, there, there's a lot that's going not well. And um, this could be our saving grace, really. And, you know, the stories that uh, Jeff Mishlove and others on this channel have talked about for years, um, and whether, you know, quote unquote, aliens are good or bad, are they evil, are they good, etc. You know, the question that keeps coming up again and again is not maybe so much who are they, but what does this say about us? Let me play one more clip for you right here that um, Dr. Diana Posolka talks about. She's a professor and an author, and she focuses on whether these entities are real or not. To focus on whether it's real or not is actually focusing on the wrong thing. We really should be looking at the meaning of these events for people because it has completely shifted not only individual lives, but also the belief in UFOs is now a new global belief system. It's different than a religion, but it's religious-like. If you look at my research, there's a continuation, a theme of looking up at the sky and seeing things that are unknown and then trying to identify them. And today, we're still seeing that people see things in the sky, but what they're seeing in the sky today is what they believe to be like advanced technology. Whereas a thousand years ago, they would think maybe that's an angel or maybe that's a demon. Today, they look up and they say, well, that's a UFO. In some ways, I mean, Matthew, it is a religious or religious-like experience, even if you come into it as an atheist. That's true, yeah. And I, I would say that, you know, something that Diana Pasolka always preaches about the idea of angels is that, you know, they cut both ways, right? They can, they can do incredible good, but they can also show you incredible bad. And I think that what this experience does for us is that, it really gives us a light into ourselves because the experience is a mirror of you, right? And so if you have fear in you, they're going to show you that fear, right? And so they're, they're just showing you what you have within yourself. And that's not evil, 
right? That's them trying to get get you to get to the bottom of things. And and mm-hmm. that's I think ultimately what it's all about. Yeah, yeah, one of the you know the the reason I really wanted to have you on today is as my wife and I watched the encounter series is is something that you said that is really compelling. So let me read you back to you if you don't mind. Is any of this real? I think they're real. But what is your idea of reality? DOD and NASA are all hiring physicists to work on this UFO issue. And that's not where the truth of this lies. The truth lies in the realm of the humanity, psychology, philosophy, religious studies. That's where you're going to find the truth of this. No physicist can tell you what the truth of this is. That's very true. I mean, and this is, this is, this is a big illusion that people uh, have about science is, and, and we need to understand that we have to put science in its correct place. Uh, first always comes the human experience and then science can come along and measure things within that experience kind of, and then sometimes very precisely it can measure those things, but always what comes first is the human experience. And, and then science investigates that. And and just just as you know, life is experiential. So are these experiences with these entities. And so nobody can write some kind of physics mathematical formula on the board and say, "This is what you went through," because I don't experience life from the perspective of a mathematical equation, right? I experience it through experience, and that's that's what's at the root of this. And so you're always going to find big answers. Uh, to things in the humanities, in the arts, in psychology. And, and those things are the things that that inform science, uh, despite any illusions uh, to the contrary. Yeah, and that's why I love that clip earlier from the one gentleman in Zimbabwe who was one of the children who, who experienced the, 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 the alien craft and aliens back in 1994 where he says, you know, it's not about the incident, you know, it's about what this means to us. It tells us, and you mentioned it earlier, it tells us maybe what we're thinking, what Im- what images, what consciousness we're harboring, because a lot of folks want to know who are they. You know, they want they want them to land on the White House lawn, and that's not the point, is it? No, it's not, and, and that, that's what I tell people, that, you know, what they want you to do is to go within to retreat within and become familiar with that, the universe and knowing it from within. And if, if they're doing something like landing on the white house lawn, which would be in a very, in, in a union sense, a very extroverted and not introverted, uh, thing, then, then that's going the wrong direction, right? It, It, it's not going to help them to land on the white house lawn. Because that's not that's not the that's not the point. The point that's is not to go point. within. Yeah. The point is not to clobber us over the head and prove it, right? Right. Just like even the whole notion of God. No, mm-hmm. Nobody's coming down off a cloud saying you didn't believe in me. Here's a thunderbolt. It's right. always about an interior journey. Mm-hmm. Well, ultimately, I believe that the encounter series ends on the note that these entities, this intelligence, this consciousness, these UAPs, UFOs, etc., etc., etc. This consciousness is ultimately here to help us. That is your conclusion. And let me end up here with um, one person who raised that very issue. 
and it's called The Message in the fourth episode of Encounters. I think this is an intelligence that recognizes the depth of human creativity and wants to preserve it. I think this intelligence cares about us. I think this intelligence does not want us to go extinct. That's what I think is really being communicated. We're, we're right here with you. Just open your hearts, open your minds. We'd like to help you. And, you know, let's get to know one another. I think that's really what the message is. What do you think about that? I, I think it's correct. I mean, uh... I, I could go, I could delve very deep into those comments in terms of Jungian psychology. Uh, but I, but I, I think ultimately that statement is correct. And, um, and, and, and I, and I would, I, I just, I would caution people to just to, to, to rush to judgment, you know, just don't rush to judgment when you come in contact with this stuff. It's not, it's not that serious. You don't have to define it. Um, we don't need to know where they're from in order to hear their message and to understand what they're getting at. It's just not important. So don't get bogged down in things that don't matter. <clears throat> but welcome the experience. Yes, no? absolutely. It's the message. It's the message and the, and the experience that that matter. And then that's going to let you know who and what you are, right? It's going to allow you to discover that. And you've heard of Christopher Bledsoe. We talked a little bit about that. He's been on this channel and he sees orbs and, and knows of this. It's a consciousness, but uh, he basically says, welcome them in. What, where do you stand on something like that, Matthew? Is this an entreaty that you make to the universe? Is it a prayer of sorts? Is it a request? Is it intention or none of the above? I, you know, I think that they'll contact you based on how well you have proven that you can do positive personality disintegration. If, if they know that they can put you through this experience and that you may come out the other end better than when you went in, then they'll do it. Uh, and not all initiations are successful, obviously, unfortunately. Um, but I, I stand on, on the side of, you know, do it. Uh, I, I view this as a civic duty. Um, and that's my opinion of it. And so when I, when I hear people who say, Oh, well, I, I wouldn't want to do that. I don't want to go through that. And it's just so disappointing to me because I feel so deeply about it. You know, I feel, I just feel like it's this deep civic duty and it is incumbent upon us to, to do this. Well, I really love the way you um, started this book, or at least in maybe in some of the notes uh, for Initiated. And it, this quote has kind of stayed with me now for since I read your book a few weeks ago. The two most important days, you're, this is a Mark Twain quote, the two most important days of your life are the day you're born and the day you figure out why you're here. Yeah, that's, and, and that, that, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, you know, and people think that 
people think that these things are unknowable to us, right? Because we're trained to think that science is going to give us all the answers. We can't possibly know this for ourselves. But I'm here to tell you that you absolutely can know that. And this isn't just poetic language. This is this is a truth about the universe. And Matthew, I don't think uh, our audience would let me let you go today without asking you, where are you today? Can I say psychologically, where are you in your heart, in your path, in your journey? And are some of these events still occurring in your life? Yeah, uh, so I, I'm, I, <laughs> I will say that I am psychologically very well. I'm better than I have ever been. Um, and I kind of, I, I see the, I, I feel kind of, I, I live like a monk. You know, basically, I don't, I don't do anything crazy. I, I like to sit in my chair and read. Um, and I like to contemplate and think, think about things. Uh, and that's pretty much my life now. Um, and I'm okay with that. I love that. I love a slow pace, uh, very easy going life. And that's, that's what I do. The name of the book is Initiated, UAP Dreams, Depression, Delusions, Shadow People, Psychosis, Sleep Paralysis, and Pandemics. Matthew Roberts also appears in the Netflix series Encounters, produced by Spielberg's Amblin Entertainment. Matthew, it's been an absolute delight. I kind of knew that it would be. You know, sometimes you read people's books or see them in documentaries, you feel like you know them. I just really felt that way. So uh, you were our first choice from that series to appear here on new thinking aloud and i hope you'll come back again absolutely christopher this was this was such a pleasure and i'm i'm honored to be here i i know the history of this show and it's just incredible to be here thank you very much yes you're welcome and for all of us here we want to remind you that you can and we would hope will subscribe to our channel comment and certainly click that bell because that helps get these shows out there for all of us here at new thinking aloud for jeffrey mishlove and me, Vadness, for all of the great volunteers. I'm Christopher Norton. Thank you for joining us. You are the reason why we're here. I imagine that by now many of you already realize that, in conjunction with White Crow Books, we've just launched the new Thinking Aloud Dialogues book imprint, and our first title is, Is There Life After Death? New Thinking Aloud is a non-profit endeavor. Your contributions to the New Thinking Aloud Foundation make a meaningful difference in our ability to produce new videos.